We can trust the Lord. Because Jesus, in every little detail, he's close. He's close. Jesus, I will. We can trust him because he's close. Jesus, I will. <laughs> Come on, you need to say that. That's a refrain that you need to say. He's asking you to trust him. Jesus, I will. And when we confess that Jesus, I will. <laughs> Jesus, I will. See, the reason why Jesus is close to you it's because he made a created being to praise him. But his I will was that I want to ascend to the thrones of heaven. I will make myself like the most high. But when we say, Jesus, I will, I will trust you. I will praise you. I will serve you. I will love you. When we make the choice that we will, he draws even closer. Come on. How, how can a friend who sticks closer than a brother be even closer? It's when you praise him. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today that we can draw close to you, that we can praise you, that we can honor you, that we can glorify you because you will never fail. You haven't failed us yet, God, and you won't do it in the future. You have a track record of success. You have a track record of faithfulness. You have a track record of love. You have a track record of showing your glory in the earth in a way that works out for our good. All things are working together for our good. Everything that we go through is working together for our good. And though we don't always see it, we know that it's working for our good. Why? Because you are close. And the good God, the great God, the, the, the most worthy God is near us today. And so thank you, Father. Help us to see you in this moment. Father, we thank you for uh, all who are present here today. We pray you would open their eyes, open their ears, that they might see and hear your glory, hear your words that you're speaking to them today. Father, you have a word for your people. And so, Father, I decrease that you might increase in me. Holy Spirit of living God, I thank you for the gifts that are on my life. Use me today as you choose. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen and amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats, if you will. If you're home, go ahead and grab your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. If you're here uh, you can you have your Bible with you. Many people don't bring their Bible to church no more. I guess this is all on the phone. Open up your phone app, your Bible app if you have it, uh, and read along with me here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. The word says this, the Lord, somebody say the Lord, spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord. Why? Because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm going to read that again. He says, the Lord spoke to you face to face. 
He did that out of the fire on the mountain. And at that time, Moses, is who he's talking about here, stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. But these are the words he said. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I've chosen for a topic today as we look at this series, writing God's handwriting, and we think about writing on tablets today. I've chosen for the topic, come close to the fire. Come close to the fire. One of the best things about camping, this is actually camping season, it goes from the end of April all the way through to October, and one of the best things about camping is the campfire. You know, many, amen, amen, right? That's, that's one of the, the best parts about it. Uh, we, we had a couple of our Grace City family who actually went camping a couple weeks ago. They went and enjoyed a camping trip. I didn't get an invite, um, but, but I'm not salty about it. It's okay, uh, you know. Yeah, you didn't either. You didn't get invited. I, I, yeah, I'm not salty about it. I, I actually don't enjoy camping. <laughs> I, I feel like as a former active duty Marine, I've camped enough. Um, but one of the things I do enjoy about camping is the campfire. You know, something about the campfire and being by the fire that somehow, uh, to use metaphorical terms, it melts the stony and cold formalism, if you would, uh, that, that exists in general conversations. Sometimes you get deep at the campfire, right? Uh, that, that's one of the things that we like about the campfire. It's, it's a time to come close, to draw nor, near, and to get deep. Uh, interestingly, uh, inside, one of the things that individuals will tell you who go camping, they'll tell you when it gets dark and it begins to get cold, one of the first things you want to do is start a fire. Right? Because a fire uh, helps you to stay warm during the evening cold, but it also keeps away predators that may seek to join your festivities. Uh, animals, specifically predatory animals, things like wolves of nature, have a honed sense of danger. And what they will do is because of the fire, they will identify with the danger of the fire, particularly as it gets to extreme when it goes to forest fires. Uh, many animals will find themselves, researchers tell us, that they find themselves bodies of water to collect that, which are natural fire breaks when fire runs over a forest. But, but what we found out, researchers will tell you, is it's not the fire in small settings that the animals are afraid of. Animals have connected fire to bodies of humans. And because they've connected fire to bodies of humans, their own sense of danger tells them that where there are large numbers of humans, there is potential danger. So for you, when you get into the forest, in the wilderness, if you will, and you're alone, please start a fire. Please start a fire. Draw close to the fire because the fire tells those who might seek to do you harm that you may not be by yourself. I'm preaching already. Uh, verse number four tells us that the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. 
It's something about face-to-face conversations. You know, it's two types of face-to-face conversations. You can have a face-to-face conversation that's more like a nose-to-nose conversation. Maybe you had one of those as you was driving here uh, to service today and somebody cut you off. You, you weren't exactly face-to-face, but you felt like it was nose-to-nose, you know. And you, you were saying some things to them as you were driving down the road, potentially. But, but nose-to-nose conversations are filled with uh, rage and frustration. Uh, and, and nose-to-nose type face-to-face conversations generally take place when we don't have a strong connection to the person to which we are communicating with. And even when we do have nose-to-nose conversations with someone we love, it's generally because we have changed in our mind how we perceive them. But there are other types of face-to-face conversations. There are kneecap-to-kneecap conversations. Kneecap-to-kneecap conversations are the nice ones. Those are the ones that you have when you go to lunch, you go to dinner. Maybe today after you leave service, you're going to grab somebody that you haven't seen. I'd recommend you do that and say, hey, let's go have a kneecap-to-kneecap conversation. Let's go get lunch. Let's go enjoy some time of sweet fellowship together. Uh, in me- we- weddings, you have a kneecap-to-kneecap conversation at the altar, right? It's face-to-face as you connect with someone who you seek to give vows to or share covenant community with. Those are face-to-face conversations. And, and I think that sometimes, sometimes we look at God in the same way. Sometimes we have a face-to-face conversation with God that's nose-to-nose. How many of you ever had a nose-to-nose conversation with God? Uh, th- those are conversations, hey man, those are conversations that you've had with God when you're frustrated, when you're angry, uh, when, when, when you're disappointed, when you're upset, or maybe even when you think that God is mad at you. Sometimes we think that God, every time he talks to us through his word, is having a nose-to-nose conversation. But I want to encourage you today that God just doesn't have nose-to-nose conversations, but he also has kneecap-to-kneecap conversations. And this is kind of where we find ourselves in our text today. Deuteronomy, uh, by many scholars, will tell you that this word Deuteronomy is just the second law, right? Because this is the second time that Moses is giving the covenant commands, the laws, to the children of Israel. Uh, In this particular chapter that we're in, we find in Deuteronomy, we find the Ten Commandments. Many of you know the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've watched the Charlton Heston movie or you've seen something else that talk about the Ten Commandments. Who's the new actor now for the new Ten Commandments movie? I know it's another one out. I don't know who it is. But, but, but you, you have these commandments and these things that we look out. And I don't even actually like the word commandment myself. Bob would agree with me. Bob is a, is a, is a rebellious type. He says it all the time uh, that the, the, the word commandment has something to do with duty and what I ought to do. And most of us don't like people telling us what we ought to do. That's when we have our nose-to-nose conversations. You're not going to tell me what I ought to do. Who do you think you is? Right? And, and that's generally what we, how we see the commandments. We see them as things that we ought to do. But see, also, one of the things that we'll understand as we're thinking about this word Deuteronomy, when you look at it in its Hebrew context, the word Devarim, uh, as they say it, Eladid Devarim, it simply just means these are the words. The words. They're just words. But they're words that come from someone who loves us. They're words that come from someone who wants to have a kneecap-to-kneecap, covenant-type conversation with us and share with us the words 
from their heart. See, commandments aren't things that we ought to do, but essentially they're things, covenant words, that we actually get to do. So, so what is the law not? The law, as we think about it, and this, many of us look at the law this way, is not a means to salvation. Galatians tells us in uh, Galatians 3.11 that no one who relies on the law is justified because righteousness or the people who are righteous will actually live not by their duty but by their faith. We live by our faith. So, so what then is the law? The, the law, if, if, if you were during the times of Jesus and you were a young child and you went to your mom or your dad and you said, Mom, Dad, what is the law? What they would have told you is the law is the story of the exodus and the fulfillment of covenant promise. That's what the law is. The law is the story of the exodus, the story of God bringing you out and the fulfillment of his covenant promise on your life. So I don't want you to think, though, as I talk about that, that I'm saying that when you think about the law, that the law is not something that you should do. I mean, when you are in a covenant, there are things that you should do. It's not a, a, a symbol of licentiousness. It's not that you should go out and do whatever you want. There are some things that you ought to do, but the reason you do them is not because of duty. It's for a different reason. Uh, my my uh, Torah professor, Dr. Gary Schnitzer, uh, in one of our theology classes in, in, in the college I went to, he wrote a book called The Torah Story. And in this book, he outlines, he goes through every single book of the Torah. And, and he goes a deep, deep dive into the story, the narrative, the meaning, and the message of the Torah. And what he says about this particular passage or these passages of Scripture in Deuteronomy 5 is, is interesting. This is what he says. He says, it's not accurate in my view to read this book as merely saying, obey God in order, or obey in order to love God and live. Rather, it seems better to think of this teaching as love God based on his word and work in your heart in order to live and obey. Completely different. Completely different. Say, say that again? I'll say it again. It's, see, it's, it's, it's reading this book is not saying merely obey in order to love God and live. It seems better to think of this teaching as love God based on his word and his work in the heart in order to live and obey. Has God ever done any work in your heart? I know he's done some work in my heart. I, I, I was listening to one as a pastor was talking about nice Christians. He said, he said some Christians are nice and they're Christians. And some people are nice because they're Christians. I'm on the second half. I wasn't a nice person. God had to take the edge off me. Like, I'm serious. Like, I wasn't just a nice person to start with. Some of y'all just nice. Like, you don't even have to be Christian, but some of y'all is just nice people. You're just a nice person. You're jovial. You're nice to be around. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe or not. You're just a good, you're nice, a nice person. I wasn't that. He had to take the edge off. <laughs> but it's interesting here. One of the things I want to talk about as we move on to this next verse. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, something happens that's interesting. Moses here in our text is actually talking to the second generation of, 
of, of, of the people of Israel. The first generation actually died in the wilderness, right? They died in the wilderness because they would not follow God. They would not trust God. They decided that, you know, the enemies, the people who were around were greater than him, and they couldn't, and God couldn't help them move into the promised land. So as a result, they died in the wilderness, and now Moses is speaking to the next generation. And he's talking about an incident that happened in Exodus 19 and 20 when God wanted to speak to his people face to face. He invited them to come up the mountain. They didn't want to come up the mountain. God came to the top of the mountain. There was, the mountain was shaken. It was an earthquake. Fire was all around it. And God decided to speak to the people out of the fire on the mountain. And they said, They moved away from the fire. And they told Moses, listen, we don't want God to speak to us. You stand here and you speak to us and we'll hear what you say. And this is what Moses tells us here in verse number five. He says, at that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Look, I'm telling you, it's, it's difficult to stand in between somebody who don't want to hear from the person they need to hear. We talk about it in our elders all the time as not triangling, not getting yourself triangled in the middle between conversations that you don't need to be in. That you always divert the people back to the one they need to communicate with. It's hard to be in the middle. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody today that feel like they're in the middle. That maybe you're in the middle between uh, some merger or some deal, some conversation at work. Maybe you're in the middle between two loved ones. Maybe you're in the middle between somebody who's not doing well and, they, and you wish they were doing better. Maybe you're caught in the middle. I'm telling you, it's difficult in the middle. It's difficult to be the mediator in difficult situations where people don't want to hear. Because as Bob always says, it's a phrase I love. I use it all the time. You don't know it, but I always talk about you when I'm talking to people about this phrase. He says, people never hear you unless they're moving towards you. You hear that? That people do not hear you unless they're moving towards you. If you're moving away from the fire, there's no way you're going to hear the message that's coming from it. You're going to see it as duty. You're going to see it as regulation. You're going to see it as rules and requirements. But when you get closer to the fire, not only do you hear the words of the fire, but you hear the message as well. See, Moses, it's interesting. It's interesting that Moses was not the mediator of the message simply because he was wiser and older. Moses wasn't the mediator because he was wiser and older. Uh, Mo Moses was the last of the, the generation uh, that was still alive during that first wave, but he wasn't the mediator because he was wiser and he was older. As a matter of fact, Moses was the youngest child of his parents. He was the youngest child of his parents. Uh, he, he, he oftentimes made bad decisions as it thought about following God. Moses didn't get a chance to go into the promised land. Why? Because he was not wise enough to recognize, to listen to God's voice, rather his own voice, in frustration with mediating with the people. He, he, he wasn't the one who was the mediator because he was more talented. Moses could barely speak. 
And I'm not saying that to make fun of anybody who may have a communication problem. I'm simply saying that Moses was the one who couldn't speak and thought he didn't have the ability to speak, but God still used him. And so maybe you're in a situation where you're looking at your inabilities, you're looking at your deficiencies, as you would call them, and you think that your deficiencies disqualify you from hearing or serving God. Your deficiencies do not disqualify you because God doesn't call the good. He makes good the called. He makes good the the called. He, he gets on top of your ability. He gets on top of your inability in order to use you for his glory. Moses uh, finally was not the mediator because he was superb at leadership. Moses wasn't the best leader. That's not why he was the one who was the mediator of God's message. As a matter of fact, Moses could barely lead himself. He could barely lead his own family. God almost killed Moses and the rest of his family because he wouldn't do the thing as a leader of circumcising his own son. His wife had to step in and say, Moses, you're about to get us all killed. Let me go ahead and get this thing figured out for you. He wasn't the one that was most superb at leadership. That's not why God used them. God used Moses, this, for this reason, is because Moses submitted to the test and answered the call. In other words, Moses drew close to the fire. How many of you remember when Moses was on the mountaintop and that burning bush was set ablaze and was not consumed? What did Moses do? Moses turned to see. And I'm talking to some of you today that actually need to turn and see. God has been speaking to you about something. He's been communicating to you about something that you need to respond to, but you're not turning to see. And you won't come close to the fire. You need to come close to the fire. You need to turn to see so that you can not only hear God's message, but you can answer the call that he's trying to share from the fire. You see, what Israel did in this situation is they wrongly associated the, persons and the, the person in presence of God with something to them that was dangerous. They gave in to their carnal nature like the animals did when they look at the fire in relation to humans. They did the same thing as they associated God with something to them that was dangerous. I want you today to know that you don't need to fear the fire. You don't need to fear the fire because at the fire is where God's message will come to you. You see, God's fire consumes, but it also purifies. God's fire burns, but it also seals. God's fire exposes, but it also lights the way. How many of you know today that God's fire is not something to be afraid of? You need to come close to the fire. Because, see, the fire is synonymous with God's testing in your life. Some of the difficult tests in your life have been around things that have been seemingly dangerous to you. 
There have been things that have been seemingly difficult for you to handle. But see, God's testing is drawing you close to the fire. It's because it's at the fire where he can make you shine like pure gold. It's interesting that, pure, that gold, in order to be purified, needs to be at high senses of heat in order to dry, to dry off or to cast off all the impurities that are associated with it. And see, the message, the words of God expose our impurities. I know we don't like that. I, go, I can't get nobody to speak to me on that one. We, we don't like that the, the word of God exposes our impurities. You see, but while it exposes our purities, drawing close to the fire helps us to build trust and communion with the one who is purifying us. See, when you get close to the fire, you'll realize that you will never have confidence in an area where you lack trust. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know when you don't trust your ability, you, don't lack, you, you fail to have confidence? How many of you know when you don't trust uh, the things that you've trained yourself to do that you find yourself lacking confidence? How many know when you don't trust the person that you are in community and relationship with, you fail to have confidence in their love for you, and that causes you to move away from the fire? But God wants you today to move close to the fire. Something you should know about fear, see, fear essentially is a survival instinct that kicks in when we are afraid, right? Fear actually happens in your mind. It actually happens in your mind, but it shows up in your physical reactions. Uh, and, and many experts will tell you that, that fear is something that you need not fear. One of the things that you can do in situations when you're afraid and your narrative in your mind starts to tell you about all the things that you're afraid of, you need to ask yourself the question, how true is the thought that I'm actually thinking? What evidence do I have to support this thinking in my mind about the thing that I'm afraid of? Most people are fear of heights, not because they think they're going to fall, because they're thinking they're going to jump. When you're at a high altitude, it's not, it's not falling that you're afraid of. It's fearing that you're going to get to the edge and step off. One of the things they say, oh, oh, I forgot what his name is, one of the presidents of the Fireside Chats, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, was it? He says, the, or Franklin D. Roosevelt, he says, the only thing to fear is fear itself. The only thing you need to be fearing, really, in your life is the fact that you have fear. And whenever you have fear, you need to replace the fear with faith with faith, with trust, with confidence in what has been done for you in the past. And so I'm, I'm almost done. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up here. But there's three things that I want to help you do, things, things I want to tell you um, that will help you take courage to come close to the fire. How many of you today want to come close to the fire? You want to come close to the fire. Okay, I got three things that's going to help you, three things that's going to help you. Verse number six, it says this. That in verse number six, the first thing that Moses says is he's speaking God's words. And this is what God says to him in verse number six. I am the Lord, your God. So the first tip that I have for you is at the mountain of fire, you need to remember that there is a relational God. At the mountain of fire, 
in your testing, in your trial, you need to remember that there is a relational God. He says, I am the Lord your God. You're thinking, okay. Let me say it again. I am the Lord. Who's God? Okay. Okay. Now we're now we there. I am the Lord your God. Now we look at this a little bit deeper. The first word, Lord, is the word Jehovah. And Jehovah means self-existent God. It means he exists all by himself. But the interesting thing about the self-existing God is he decided not to exist by himself, but he decided to, to create you to exist with him. He's the Lord, your God, your God, God, Elohim. Uh, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And it's interesting, throughout that narrative, Genesis 2 through 3, we find the words, the Lord God created the fish of the sea. The Lord God created the birds of the air. The Lord God created man and woman. The Lord God placed man in the garden. Lord God said that it's not good that man be alone. The Lord God put the man asleep and took out of him a rib. The Lord God brought the woman to the man. All these things, the Lord God, he's creating relationship. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we see Satan saying, did God actually say? What did he do? He, he, he removed Jehovah out of the conversation. See, 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 see your, your enemies just want you to think that, that God is just the creator. He's just somebody that makes stuff. But he don't want you to know that God didn't make stuff, but he made stuff for you. He, he doesn't want you to know that he made stuff so that you would engage in a relationship with the one who made you. See, you, you can be made, but until you're in a relationship with the one who actually made you, you don't get the benefits of the relationship. And so, so the first thing you got to remember is that at the mountain of fire is a relational God that wants to draw close to you. I'm almost done. The praise team, come on. Praise team, get ready to come up. This, the second thing that I want you to understand is that the mountain of fire is a promise-keeping God. At the mountain of fire is a promise-keeping God who, watch this, brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of of Egypt. Why did he bring you out of Egypt? You see, because God is, Egypt is a connected to uh, the worldly system, cosmos, if you would, in our society. Egypt represents a kingdom that is not God's. And so God brought you out of the kingdom of darkness in order to translate you into his marvelous light. He brought you out of Egypt. But see, what is this connected to? Why is this connected to promise. You see, because Abraham, God told Abraham that what's going to happen is your people are going to go into slavery for 400 years. But by a great hand, I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. He made a promise to, a, to, to an individual who was in the middle. He made a promise to an individual in the middle, to a people who had not existed, who were a generation later, that this covenant that I have with you is a promise that I'm making to bring your people out. And maybe some of you are thinking about family members today that you hope would come out of darkness. 
You need to trust the promise-keeping God, the God that you call on, that you can pray to, who hears and answers your prayers, who's not afraid to go into places where there's dark and grimy, not afraid to go into places where he can be caught in the middle so he can bring them closer to the one who loves them. He's the promise-keeping God. I mean, maybe you got a promise today that you're hoping God will keep and you're wondering whether or not God's going to keep your promise, well, you can trust the one who keeps his promises. You can draw close to the fire because at the fire is where God shares his covenant. But here's the last thing that I want to share, and I'm done. It's at the mountain of fire is a delivering God. Somebody say is a delivering God. He brought you out of the land of your slavery. I don't know what you're enslaved to today, people. I I don't know what has enslaved you. Maybe you're enslaved to your own negative thinking about yourself. Maybe you're enslaved uh, to some other person's words about you. Someone communicated to you something when you were little that has continued to ring in your ears and has pushed you into bondage. Maybe you've been been communicated to as you look at the words, you look at Egypt. You're looking at Egypt and you're seeing what Egypt has to say about who you are and your life. And maybe you've become enslaved to someone else's identity of you. I'm telling you, God brings you out of slavery. He brings you out of the negative consequences and conversations that people have had to you who are not close to the fire. But see, the only way that you're going to hear that you've been brought out of slavery, the only way you're going to understand who you are and how God has made you is if you draw close. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to come close to the fire today. The fire is not going to burn you. It's going to seal you in his love. The fire is not going to just expose you. It's going to show you the way to your your purpose. The fire is not just going to hurt you. It's going to purify you. But you got to draw close to it. You got to draw close to it. And it's interesting. As I close, there was a story in the New Testament where a man came to Jesus And he came to Jesus bringing his son, and he said, listen, all of these disciples, they couldn't heal my boy. They couldn't deliver him. They couldn't deliver him. They couldn't bring him out of his problem. They couldn't bring him out of his pain. And Jesus said, these only come out by fasting and prayer. Um, And and he says something to to the man. He says, do you believe? And the man says, Lord... I want to, but I need you to help my faith. I need you to help my faith. God tells you today that the way that you build your faith is through trust. You got to trust that the fire is not going to burn you. The, The words of God aren't here to burn you. They're here to help you. They're here to change you. They're here to transform you. They're here to make you new. They're here to give you a new revelation of a difference, to give you a new understanding of yourself. They're here to put you on purpose so you can go out in the world. And guess what? Watch this. You can be in the middle 
between bringing the people who are in darkness into the light. Yeah, yeah. God wanted a kingdom of priests, but what he ended up getting is a priest that stand in the middle of the people in the kingdom. He, he wants you. He don't want me. You're the kingdom of priests. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for some of you who are here online. I want to pray for some of you who are here that maybe are saying that today I realize that there is a difference. There's something that, 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 that I've been being drawn to that I'm afraid of getting close to. And, and today God wants to draw you close to the fire because he wants you closer to himself because that's where you'll find safety. But you're saying, I, 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 I need to know this Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for you today uh, that if you would just agree with this prayer, you don't have to say anything, you have to do nothing, just agree with this prayer in your own heart, right? Because Jesus is speaking to you out of the fire on the mountain. So we would just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are speaking to me today. And I hear you, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, and I want to draw closer. I want to draw closer, but I don't know how. So will you show me how to draw closer to you? Will you build confidence in me as I take this first step to trust in you? Will you come into my life? Will you change me? Will you forgive me of the sin of my life? Will you purify me and make me new? So that not only will I go out to continue to serve you and do what your word says, but I'll do it not out of duty, but I'll do it because of what you have already done for me. Draw me close to you, God. Draw me close to you. If that's your prayer today, uh, I want to pray with you and talk to you after. Maybe you've identified with that, you've connected with that, and you said, you know, that's, that's even more that God is trying to do in my life. Come find me. Come find Kelly after the service that, that we might be able to pray with you and encourage you to help you know that God is close to the fire and he's close to you. Amen.